you want a vision of the future, Winston, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. They will run you dizzy. They will pile falsehood on top of falsehood until you can't tell a lie from the truth and you won't even want to. That's how the powerful keep their power. Don't you read the papers? The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. first i think we're okay on that yeah okay. welcome back to another episode of our interesting times it is my pleasure to have dr e michael jones back on the show he returns uh well i guess we'll discuss a sort of a post-mortem on the trump era and perhaps the uh, continuing war in populism uh and maybe the general concept of power of narrative versus truth we're seeing a lot of narratives and very little truth in the mainstream media and of course, despite all the adversity, why a logos is indeed rising. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of many books, including the recently published Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. Of course, that's almost about a year now, so I guess the most recently published book on that. And yeah. I understand you're working on a new book? I am. And can you I give am. us a hint of what it's going to be about? Yes, beauty. Oh, so like aesthetics and sort of that thing? It's going to be on aesthetics, yeah. So oh. I ju- actually, I just finished. There are going to be three parts. First part is be going to be on art, and that'll be Italy in the uh, uh, Middle Ages, Renaissance. Uh-huh. Second part will be on music, uh, Germany from Bach to Wagner. And the third part will be on poetry, beginning with uh, Coleridge and Wordsworth. Oh, okay. And is, are you going to touch sort of the... Uh the uh, destruction or the war in aesthetics too, like since in the 20th century. Yeah, I, I, there uh, there will probably be a chapter on modernity, okay. uh, which will uh, allow me to talk about all of those things and how they ended up being the opposite of what they were supposed to be. That's the one thing I think that modernity is. It's uh, anti-music, anti-poetry, and anti-art. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Look forward. I guess that's uh, uh, what, uh, when do you expect that to be out? Do you even have an idea yet? Or just, you're kind of still working on it. You're not sure. Yet. Yeah, I, I think uh, the first, the first one will have, will be illustrated with pictures. with oh. a painting I'm describing. Okay. So that, that'll be different. I think I'm going to bring it out one, one volume at a time. Oh, okay. So I guess and you can put them all together. 
Oh, you can like publish little parts, excerpts of like in Culture Wars magazine. I can no, do no, I mean, I, well, yeah, the next issue of Culture Wars is going to be on beauty, and it will have the introduction uh, to the book there. Oh, okay. Well, look forward but to that. I'm thinking of the book, bringing the books out separately as separate volumes. Oh, rather than okay. A, f- a 1400 page book <laughs> on you. Yeah, lay that on your doorstep, right? <laughs> Speaking of, uh, the, the second edition of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit will be coming out in about a month. And uh, it's at the printer right now. And that is three volumes uh, in a boxed set with uh, 600 pages of new material. Oh, so okay. It weighs in at 1,800 pages, but, but three volumes this time. So uh, I can't find a book that thick. Yeah. So f- uh, for those of who, those of us who read the 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 first complete book, we have six hundred pages to to get with that new volume coming. Right. Out, You'll get six hundred pages of new material. There are two completely new historical chapters, one on the Arian crisis of the fourth century, uh-huh. and another one on the Armenian genocide oh, uh, okay. of nineteen fifteen. Now I uh, I went into that. I met a uh, man online, an Armenian. We're all we were supposed to go to Armenia, and then of course COVID hit, and I haven't gone anywhere. Uh, but um, I thought, well, I'll look into the Armenian genocide. You know, I mean, my father used to tell me, if I didn't finish my food, he'd say, "Think of the starving Armenians." I grew up thinking of starving Armenians, and then I looked into it, and guess what? Guess what? It fits in with the Jewish revolutionary spirit. I, you know, this is when you discover things like this, not going into it, you know, not going into it, looking for it, but you discover it. And the only real explanation of what is going on has to do with the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It's amazing because both the uh, the Hunchaks and the Dashnaks, they were the Armenian terrorist groups. And the uh, Young Turks uh, had one thing in common. They went to universities in in Russia and Europe where they picked up the Jewish revolutionary spirit. The Hunchaks and the Dashnaks went to the, the were recruited into Nadia Volia, uh, the national will. Um, at the time when Nadia Volia was uh, becoming the first terrorist group in the world. The Jews, the the Jews had split from the uh, the Russian back to the back to the land movement, and they did uh, what Jews do best: they engaged in terrorism. That was the attempt by the the czars to sort of mainstream the Russians by giving, I mean, the Jews by giving them property, and and they that was that was yeah. the, the beginning yeah. of the nineteenth uh, century. Uh, by the middle of the nineteenth century, I mean, yeah, I've covered that yeah. period enough in Russia. It's in the first uh, first edition. But uh, it wasn't just Russians showing; it wasn't just Russian Jews showing up at the university. It was uh, Armenians, and they picked up the same revolutionary virus from the same group. And so you can't really understand. So now there's a standoff. There's been a standoff ever since 1915. So it's over 100 years now. Uh, basically, the, the the Armenians accusing the Turks of genocide, and the Turks accusing the Armenians of. Uh, basically uh, engaging in revolution and siding with the invading Russian army uh, during World War One. Uh, 
and no one can understand that there's a group in the middle that's fomenting this whole thing. Parvus, the famous guy, the famous uh, guy, showed up in Constantinople, in Istanbul, five years before, and started working his magic there. Anyway, I, you you can read it when you buy the second sure, edition. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of intrigue I, there. Because, plus, plus yeah. it will have art. See, uh, what, what's happened in the meantime, I wrote this book 12 years ago, and nothing has done anything to convince me that it wasn't right. I discovered a category of reality. It's not, it's not just Mike Jones made up this idea like Hillary Clinton calling Trump supporters deplorables. No, it's there. It's a category of reality, and you can't understand human history unless you understand the Jewish revolutionary spirit. It's that simple. So there's other material included. So a lot of the articles I've written since then, uh, including Jewish privilege, uh, is included as a chapter there. That was a bestseller on Amazon until the Jews got uh, got to those people and had me banned there from there. So, uh, in other words, the, the Jews have had 12 years to refute this book. <laughs> they haven't done anything. It just hasn't happened. There's not one thing. They will not address any of the facts that I brought up in this book. They simply will not address them. They're, it's like beneath their dignity to actually deal with a book that a goy wrote and actually read his book and uh, try to refute what he said. That's not the way they work. You know, so the result is that it hasn't been refuted and it keeps spreading and it keeps selling. And and the the the, the I think we're starting to see a gradual change. In our attitude, that maybe you're not a bad person if you criticize Jews. Maybe Jews deserve to be criticized. Maybe they're as bad as they are because no one's allowed to criticize them, and they can do what they want with impunity. All of these questions have you know come up over the past twelve years, and we've talked about them. And I think, I think the world has changed as a result. Yeah, they usually they prefer dynamic silence and censorship. And then uh, in the past twenty years, that wasn't possible with the internet. So now we're seeing sort of the, the censorship uh, to... Yeah. yeah, plus we have another ugly event over the horizon. Uh, they're trying to make uh, institute hate crimes here in the United States. Yeah, the uh, war on free speech. Yeah, yeah, the war on free speech uh, was the war of 2019. So, well, uh, the election or the... <laughs> The election, the inauguration, uh, the pandemic, uh, the riots, all these things are kind of related. So this post-mortem on, on the Trump era. Now, of course, post-mortem is kind of unfair because I think uh, legally Trump won the election and it was denied to him through all types of uh, well, chicanery and fraud. And I think that much was made clear just with the evidence, but it didn't receive any official investigation or hearing in court. No. And so, no. Um, I mean, why is no, that? The, 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 uh... <laughs> The so-called insurrection, the so-called riot, mm -hmm. was uh, maneuvered or timed or, or the, the timing was perfect for this because just as someone, uh, a senator or congressman standing up there ready to give evidence of election fraud, the, uh, these people break into the Capitol and they have to evacuate it. So none of that was ever entered into the official record. Now, you tell me who benefited from that. It certainly wasn't Donald Trump. Well, so yeah, what, yeah. there's no coincidence in politics, they say, right? No. So what, you, what you're seeing here is uh, one uh, uh, year of uh, 
psychological warfare. Warfare as it is conducted today, which is basically information warfare. So the question is, who gets to control the narrative? So what we saw here is a group of people who consider themselves, I think they certainly consider themselves Trump supporters. I think they consider themselves patriots. Uh, I think the people that I know who were there were talking about people praying or reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. These are the people who went. Uh, but they were, uh, that's, that doesn't matter because the, the real issue is what label can we pin on them? What label can the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of these papers that we had some type of respectability before and now do not because they have become just flagrant propaganda ministries, uh, they get to impose their views. They get to impose the label. So instead of saying, well, they were Trump supporters, they say, well, they're domestic terrorists. They're white supremacists. All yes. of these things. This, this has been the battle. I, 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 uh, it was the same battle. Uh, I don't know whether we talked about it on your show, but the battle of St. Louis, the battle of the statue in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. it's exactly the same thing. Except in that battle, I uh, contested it, and I think I won. Uh, first, the bat that I I'm, I'm I'm why am I saying I? I shouldn't say I here. I should say we. But let let's be honest here. Uh, my Catholic uh, brothers in the faith all said, "Don't come, don't come to St. Louis, buddy, because we don't want to be called anti-Semites." I tried to get, I hadn't met with a board meeting of the Credo, the Catholic group there, and they voted, no, don't, please don't come. Well, I, I, I got annoyed and I decided I'm going to enter this fray, whether they like it or not. And so I dropped the article, uh, which ended up in Culture Wars, about the battle of the statue, and uh, basically said, this is identity theft. What's going on here is identity theft. It's the same thing that I just described with the Trump uh, supporters. Uh, in this instance, it was a group of Catholics who were praying the rosary uh, to uh, defend the statue of a Catholic saint, St. Louis of France, and they were called white supremacists. And that was the strategy. It's not, that was the strategy. It's pretty much the whole strategy. Umar Lee, the guy who has identity problems himself, uh, started off as a, a white Southern Baptist uh, where grandparents took him to Baptist church and then he became black because of when he went to high school and then he became a Muslim because he had become black. And uh, then he became a Jewish proxy warrior, which is he was working with Rabbi Susan Talva there to basically tear down the statue. Well, I entered it. Uh, I'm saying I again here because after the article came out within, after it was posted on the internet, within 24 hours, Umar Lee challenged me to a debate. And I had the debate, and uh, I think I won because once I identified those people as Catholics, they, they, they won. That was it. The battle was over because now it looks different, you know. So there's the video of the uh, black guy show up, and they beat up this guy who's a Catholic trying to pray the rosary as opposed to a white supremacist who deserves to be beaten up. Because he's a white supremacist. The optics weren't good. Once you change it to Catholic and that type of thing, the optics were terrible. And they lost. And I think that's the lesson. Because what we're seeing here is a huge 
uh, example of identity theft. That's what's going on. It's, it's every day, every day. You know, it's, uh, well, uh, I think Josh Hawley's a domestic terrorist. I think he should, should be tried for treason. <laughs> yes. This is a, wait a minute. This is a senator who has a right to stand up before the Senate, and you're going to punch. Where is this coming from? This sounds like, uh, and, and now it's, it's even better. Now we have children informing on their parents and being praised and going, earning money for uh, informing on their parents. This, this is worse than the Soviet Union. They, this is the uh, it's like a rerun of the story of little Pavlik, mm -hmm. uh, the, the famous story of the Soviet Union. Little Pavlik Miroslav was a uh, Ukrainian who informed on his parents, ratted on them to the Cheka. And the, the relatives were so outraged, they murdered the kid. <laughs> OK, uh, well, then the Soviet Union erected statues to little Pavlik and they stuck them outside of schools. And that became the model, the role model. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. And you think we didn't notice? I'm talking to the Washington Post right now. Do you think we didn't notice? Do you think do you think you're you're uh, you're covering yourself with journalistic glory by writing articles like this? No. Every time you open your mouth, you lose credibility. And that uh, to bring it full circle is why Logos is rising. Yeah, there's an article I read just recently in in, in the it was published in the Washington Post. And it referred to the incident on January 6th as the abortive insurrection. <laughs> like it was a beer hall putsch or something, you know, it's uh, completely distorting what occurred down there and exaggerating yeah. it to the point where, no, I, you know, it's just absurd. The sort of exagger, you know, distortion of what they're doing, what the mainstream media is doing. Yeah, Did you see Rand Paul on uh, ABC this week with George Stephanopoulos? No, I didn't see that. What there, did he say? He tried to make Rand Paul admit that, that there was no uh, election still, there was no fraud. And Rand Paul uh, you know, stuck to his points and, and um, talked about the evidence of fraud and it should be investigated and it should be investigated going forth. And he said, well, he tried to get pin him down saying, well, what's the election stolen on? He says, I believe there is fraud. It should be investigated. And and he said, you should look at both sides of the story. Then Georgie said, there aren't two sides of the story. And he laughed at him and said, there's always two sides to the story. What are you talking about? You're supposed to be a journalist, made a fool of him. And it, it was a good performance by, by Senator Paul. But my my response was, how long before Senator Paul is not put on the no-fly list for that? You know. <laughs> yeah. You know. But yeah, it just this, and you're just pushing it. This meme where no longer was any election. Not only was it an insurrection, a putsch, uh, it's sedition, uh, an act of terrorism. Uh, what they were, what they were originally protesting was a big lie. The big lie is that there was a big lie. That there's hundreds of thousands of protesters that came to. I guess, rally, not only on behalf of Donald Trump, but again, election fraud was then morphed in the eyes of the mainstream media to be an assault on democracy itself, when they right. themselves were simply demanding an accounting and investigation into the industrial scale election fraud those with eyes to see have all, all saw during the election, and they right. completely distorted it. Right, right. I, I think it's, I, I mean, I had an experience in 1970 uh, when I was, I was uh, senior in college and uh, the United States invaded Cambodia and all the schools shut down and we marched down to Center City in Philadelphia. And as we're marching through Fairmount Park, a bunch of guys ran out uh, from the they were hiding in the bushes. They ran out to the front of the march and unfurled all these Viet Cong flags. And suddenly we were marching behind the Viet Cong flags. And uh, that's the impression that everyone was supposed to have. Now, yes. I knew these guys because they lived in my apartment building and they were all communists. 
Uh, they had been uh, to Cuba on the Venceremos Brigade. So it's easy to do this kind of stuff. I think that's exactly what happened uh, this this uh, uh, at the beginning, January sixth. Yeah, as a video and testimony suggests, meaning there are a few troublemakers, you know, a few you know crackpots showing up, as they all do at these events. I've been to them myself in my youth. There always be these people who go to these pro- professional protesters who go for attention. And the age of now social media and video, you know, getting on the internet is just it's ten times worse, like perhaps now, because everyone, anyone can be famous, can become famous overnight yeah. in some of these events. But it's very easy to hijack, especially if you have a media that's uh, raring to go with the narrative, and all they need is just one focus on one aspect, or one corner of the event, and, and ignore the other event that you know the 500,000 that showed up and just focused on a few dozen that ran through the hallways kicking over some trash right. cans and that's and what they did to yeah. do that. all you need yeah. is a few people to run to the front of the parade and then suddenly everybody's following them and you can demonize the entire parade because they were, these people ran to the front of it mm-hmm. so this happened this is uh, ha- exactly this happened in germany okay they had huge anti-covid protests there in berlin million people uh, although they said it was only 13,000. But you can look at the picture. When it's the love parade, it's a million people. It's exactly the same number of people, the same space. You can see the Brandenburger tour <laughs> in the background. But this time it's only 13,000. But anyway, so a, a small group of people then ran and broke into the Bundestag. Well, wait a minute. You can't break into the Bundestag. You can't break into Congress. You have to be let in. And the proof of that is what happened after that when they when they wanted to lock it down. You had 25,000 troops there and every intersection is has people, uh, uh, you know, National Guard with machine guns ready to shoot you. Mm-hmm. So obviously they could have done that before. They didn't. They let them in because they wanted to discredit the whole, the whole process. It's obvious. We don't. You know, I, I happen to have a Ph.D., by the way, and you don't need a Ph.D. <laughs> to this out. Yeah. Someone uh, someone to, told me that. Uh... No one sits in Nancy Pelosi's chair unless unless you want someone to sit in Nancy. That's right. That's exactly the point. (laughs) That's exactly the point. You were uh, lured into a trap. And the other paradigm that will help explain this is Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. That that was a trap. Uh, uh, There, instead of uh, letting them into the building, the cops were instructed to push the the white boys into – Antifa and Black Lives Matter, where they started a fight. They want, The point of the cops is to separate these groups. Well, these cops pushed them together because they wanted violence. They provo- they deliberately provoked violence. So it's not, you know, it, it's not, it's not brain science or rocket surgery. But now all of a sudden, a protesting and, and, and causing trouble is now terrorism, sedition, insurrection, when, uh, I mean, is that, this time is even to uh, uh, meaningful? Is it boring to point out that the hypocrisy of uh, the Democrats and even some Republicans in, in the media about yes. condemning the protests as terrorism when we endured an entire summer of mostly peaceful protests when Antifa and Black Lives Matter and other you know, yeah. groups when, burned they, cities down? When they burn Portland down, they're peaceful protesters. Mm-hmm. When the Trump supporters show up, they're domestic terrorists. Yeah. It's obvious. Isn't that, isn't that obvious? Why isn't NARAL being shut down? Because a few years ago, they encouraged people to storm the Senate hearings on during the Kavanaugh hearings and take over the building, or when well, the, when when Code Pink does it, you know. We uh, because oh, or I just saw another uh, video, Columbus, Ohio. A couple of uh, pro-abortion protesters disrupt the mass, mm-hmm. the Respect Life mass. 
Well, nothing's going to happen to them because they are uh, washed in the blood of the lamb. Well, that's what it is. I mean, remember Wisconsin a few years ago when they were cutting the budget and you had these labor union activists seize the Capitol for two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> over, over budget issues? I mean, but again, you, you've made the point before, and is, is people who are protesting is that not all protesters are created equal. Some are, yeah. you say, are favored by the media. You're, you know, and some aren't. So it, yeah. the, the First Amendment doesn't really apply here practically. It applies if you're the right kind of person, if yeah. you have the right skin color or right DNA. It's all, it's all racial. It's racist. You want to hear great? Yeah. Did you hear about like, Gerald Nadler? Uh, a year, a few years ago, he actually, this is during the Clinton administration, he lobbied to get uh, Susan Goldberg uh, pardoned. She planted a bomb outside Senator Byrd's office in the 1980s and tried yeah. to kill people. And she was in prison. And Gerald Nadler, uh, uh, the congressman from New York, the Democratic Jewish congressman from New York, lobbied and successfully got her pardon from the Clinton administration. She tried to blow people up. She wasn't successful, thankfully. Uh, but the, the same guy is condemning the uh, January 6th protesters. Yeah. Now, is this hypocrisy or what? It seems it seems like hypocrisy to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. And um, it's. Uh, to me, it's it's, a, it's a, it, you know it's breathtaking, but it's predictable. It's not. I'm not shocked by it anymore, you know. Um, but you know, uh, it, you know. And then, again, who, who's who's really the insurrectionist? Because during this, this this event melee, whatever you want to call it, kerfuffle is probably the best description of it. Um, the ADL, which is a 501c3 corporation, it should be apolitical, was uh, uh, called for Trump's early removal from office, invoking the 25th Amendment. Now, wouldn't that now, what <laughs> what lesson do you learn from this? The most pro-Jewish president in history and the Jews turn on him. Yes. So uh, let, let that be a lesson to you. If you lick their boots, they will kick you in the teeth. And then Nancy Pelosi uh, invoke, tries to get Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. On what basis? Ironically, she's doing this in furtherance of installing a man who is mentally you know, in, enfeebled. He's obviously has cognitive issues and he's entering into dementia. I'm talking about Joe Biden, of course. She also uh, bragged about contacting the Joint Chiefs of Staff about removing Trump, I mean, Trump from the uh, chain of command. Now, what's that? And then accusing him of treason. Then you're accusing him of treason. <laughs> that was just treason. <laughs> I mean, and of course, Trump the whole time, they, they've, of course, they, they, I think this is the third impeachment attempt, the second successful one. They impeached him as he's leaving office. They're trying to hold a trial, even though he's now in Malagro. He's now a former president, so they're trying to impeach a former president um, for inciting an insurrection. Now, there's no evidence of incitement because if you read his speech, it was actually delivered, I think, during the break-in or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, and there's no evidence of an insurrection if that word means anything. People running around the, the, the hall stealing, you know, uh, uh, even a laptop, from what I understand, or sitting in people's chairs uh, or taking a, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, a few uh, pens or something from a desk is not, a, is not an insurrection. But nevertheless, they've made these accusations and they've equated it to like 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, I don't, uh, uh, the, the, the vehemence here is an indication of their guilt. I think that's clear. I think they know they, they, they stole the election. They are projecting their own uh, bad behavior on other people. Uh, that's 
that's that's the way it goes. It's 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 simply this this accumulation of guilt and arrogance and 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 suppression of guilt by this kind of uh, ideological moral superiority that has rendered them deranged. They are deranged, and most people see it. If you're going if you're going to do this, let's let's just go back. You know, a couple months. Suppose you just the ADL targets ten people, and I'm one of them. Okay, you could make the case. I think that these are bad people, and uh, they deserved it. Okay, uh, but when you target seventy-five million people and try and demonize them, that's not going to work. That's going to work. You're going to bring about you 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 lose credibility by doing that. You reinforce their suspicions that you are not a rational person, that there there are ulterior motives, that you're lying, that you're cheating, and you create the very uh, intransigence that you should be working to to work away to get rid of. So what they've done, they've what they've done in a sense is destroy the uh, the unity. Uh, not necessarily that it was a great thing or an honest thing, but the unity that was revolved around the term American. It was overworked. I mean, I remember in the Viet, during the Vietnam War era how overworked that term was and how annoying I found when you were, that people cast suspicion on your bona fides as an American. But the term is gone completely. The only guy who re- revived it was Donald Trump, and it got him elected. Because there were still people who identified with that, I, I don't. I don't see it. I think that uh, these people are going to get what they pray for, which is always dangerous. And mm-hmm. what they're praying for is identity politics. And I think they're going to get identity politics, but not in a way that they they want to get it. Yeah, this attempt to uh, in, right after January six to sort of label any protest, any any collective action, particularly on part of, uh, you know, of ethnic white Americans, which are still the majority of Americans, two thirds, as white supremacist or, or racist or suspect in many ways, when Americans and many white Americans, ethnic white Americans have a lot to protest over, especially, especially given the events of the past year, the lockdown, the fake pandemic, all the restrictions that have been imposed upon them, the violations of their, of their civil liberties, their constitutional rights, what they once thought were sacrosanct, which are just rolled over at the past year by governors and mayors and the fact that people will be driven to protest and show up at state houses. I mean, I'm surprised there haven't been more quote in, haven't been more quote insurrections unquote because of the, uh, of what they've done in the past year. And the fact that the political class can sit back and go, why would someone, why would they want to protest? And why wouldn't they be happy? It's almost, they're shocked that people aren't happy with their leadership when they're, when they've been, you know, the past year has been such, a, such a, uh, an example of maladministration and, and misgovernance. It's, it, it, they're, they're so aloof and indifferent to the suffering of so many uh, millions of Amer- to millions of Americans. Yeah, and when one politician decided to uh, speak to those people, he got elected. But the trouble with Trump was he, had, he was a, you know, a general with no troops. The, and and the end, by the end, it just became so obvious what was going on. All of these people wanted to preserve their credentials with the oligarchs, and so they all turned on, on Trump. Yeah, you can't undo 60, 70 years of psychological warfare, social engineering with, uh, with executive orders. And that's one thing that, that, you know, that the right or, you know, the social conservatives or heritage America has to contend with is that their, their country has been taken away from them. This has been gradual 
you know, just a long march to the institutions, Fabian strategies. That's, that's, all, that's exactly right. Yeah. That is the, the Gramscian term. And that's that's what Joe Buttigieg promoted at uh, at Notre Dame University. And the product of Joe Buttigieg was Pete Buttigieg, who is who, now going to uh, in, inflict his his wisdom on the roads and transportation. <laughs> yes. It's like, like I've I said a person doesn't understand uh, what a, the function of entry and exit is. They're going to be charged with transportation. That's um, right. <laughs> but um, the uh, uh, here's a good example. This maybe this couple of examples of this is um, when Trump last summer he was his seventeen seventy six initiative to sort of promote American patriotism and education and his executive order going after critical race theory and you know in, in in the federal government and contracts this as applied to sensitivity training and these things this sort of a uh, anti-white uh, uh, struggle session that many Americans white Americans have been, have been subjected to the past few years past few decades him him you know at least uh, symbolically going after that and then Biden sends a, uh, signs an executive order rescinding that one of 17 he signs his first day in office is um uh, this reminds me of a situation where Trump is doing that, but he's not addressing the, uh, you know, uh, the real problem here because just doing that's very superficial. He's, again, you can't undo 60 years of psychological warfare, social engineering with executive orders. Nor it's very similar to he's he's attacking uh, the 1619 project. You know that that something that the New York Times is is promoting uh, the sort yeah. of application of critical race theory. To education, making uh, sort of saying that a country didn't start till 1619. That's when the first slave uh, African slave showed up, apparently, and the sort of this rewriting of American history, and you know, institutionalization of white guilt in education. That that approach, promoted by the New York Times and the Atlantic Magazine and the establishment, but those who are promoting it, of course, are all our old friends, the, the Jews, of course. Yeah. And when Donald Trump goes and signs the 1776 initiative, he's not addressing that problem. It kind of reminded me um, – he's not addressing the Jewish factor in that and in promoting no. all this stuff. It reminded me of the recent interview you did about LifeSite News and their piece on anti-Semitism, how, uh, how that kind of backfires on the pro-life movement. Can you connect it? Can you see, can you see the point I'm making? Yeah. Can you connect yeah, they're, those they're, two for our listeners? They're, they're, they're controlling, uh, controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's what we've been talking about the whole time. Controlling the narrative means you get to apply the labels. Mm-hmm. You get to tell people that oh, these are domestic terrorists as opposed to patriots. That's what you do. But uh, so LifeSite News has kind of uh, uh, become the, the premier uh, uh, anti-abortion uh, website. And, you know, they send out stuff. And then suddenly I get this email. And here's this guy, uh, some professor somewhere writing an article saying how to, if you want to be pro-life, you have to join the fight against uh, anti-Semitism. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's this got to do with abortion? Well, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. I think I do know what this has to do with abortion. Because if it weren't for Jews, we wouldn't have abortion in this country. I mean, this is, I can give you the details in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. There's a whole chapter on you know, New York and California are the two uh, states controlled by Jews, and that's where abortion breaks out, and then suddenly the Supreme Court uh, ratifies it. So I, I wrote, so I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed at this, and I write a comment in the comment box, which is basically, I say, the, the basis of Jewish power is the ability to level charges of anti-Semitism. If you fight uh, it, uh, and they use that power to support abortion. So if you join the fight against anti, 
anti-Semitism, you're increasing Jewish power, which means you're increasing abortion. It's perfectly logical. That's what's happening. That's the way they get they get their way. Well, the, within five minutes, it's taken down from the comment box. And then this guy, Steve, whatever his name is, uh, has the gall to then start this discussion on my comment box. <laughs> so, you know, like attacking me, like, well, what's your problem, guy? You got this obsession? No, Steve, I think we should discuss this. You're the one who's got the, the problem here because you wrote that stupid article. And why are, why can't we discuss it on your box? Because are you too sensitive about this? Are are you trying to tell me that you don't know that Jews are pro-abortion? You didn't know that. Everybody else knows that. And so this is this is part part of the issue here. You know, sure you can be pro uh, anti-abortion if we let you, if we let you, and we'll let you give you the terms of uh, how you how you can do that. That's. That's the situation we're in right now. And that uh, it applies to something like the 1619 Project. This is sort of a re revival of the, of the Black Jewish Alliance, of course, with the Jews being blacks being the junior partner in that relationship, being proxies for Jewish power because they've radicalized or they've weaponized uh, uh, black grievances in the country to sow division. And uh, the 1619 Project, this Nicole Hannah Jones is her name? That who, who did that? But she's promoted by the New York Times, which of course was, which is a Jewish operation, and, and the, the, the media in general. She's given uh, a Pulitzer Prize, which is now scholar, the National Scholars Association. These members are calling for taking back because of her bad scholarship. But it's promoted. It's and it's um, implemented in schools. But again, she wouldn't have. She doesn't have any power. She has backers. She has the oligarchs backing her. That's and, right. And she's promoted That's for right. a reason. So she herself is a proxy. For this Jewish attempt to sow discord to show to to create right. problems, yeah. So they're, but we're back with the Black Jewish Alliance again. We're back with the NAACP, uh, uh, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois going after Marcus Garvey. Uh, by the way, if you're looking into uh, the uh, 1619 Project, why don't you look into how many of those slave traders were Jewish? That's an interesting discussion. You can check out uh, Minister Farrakhan's yes. book about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I might throw a little sand in the gears of the Black Jewish Alliance, but uh, hey, you're interested in scholarship, aren't you? Or, or are you? Maybe you're not. You only you only go so far, and that's the problem. It's very superficial. I can't like Donald Trump uh, doing the 1776. It all sounds very you know patriotic and nice, but it's 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 not a a, a, a um. Uh, it's, it's not enough. I mean, you just can't go. There. You have to address. No, he was. He was. He didn't have the depth. Yeah. He didn't have the depth. He didn't have. He thought that uh, because he was successful in New York City, he could borrow a lot of money, that he knew something, and he didn't know anything. For one thing, he didn't know is how to deal with Jews. He didn't know how to do that. He, he gave them everything he wanted, and they turned on him. And then the, the final uh, the final blow here is all these Jewish criminals that he he pardons at the end of his uh, end of his uh, career. I guess he thinks they're going to help him out, you know. And then on top of that, he pardons uh, Jonathan Pollard, uh, biggest spy in history. Uh, and there are many Jewish spies who were involved here. Uh, and then. Uh, he does it to curry favor with Sheldon Adelson, and then Sheldon Adelson up and dies. Yeah. Sorry, he's, Donald. Yeah, he's actually flown back to part. Uh, Paul has actually flown back to Israel, and Sheldon Adelson's a private jet. Yeah, and there's there's yeah. Benjamin Netanyahu welcoming him. 
wait a minute. I thought this guy was a pro-American. I thought, wait a minute. I went to high school a mile away from where Benjamin Netanyahu went to high school. Uh, and uh, what is his what is this attitude toward America that he has where he's welcoming the biggest trader, American trader in history, uh, giving him a hero's welcome when he arrives in Israel? Did, did that compute that you guys out there or you Christian Zionists out there? Did that compute? Well, it says a lot that um, I mean that, that this is a a problem that's created with Zionism and the and, and the diaspora is that um, uh, that Jews, at least in theory, all can claim Israeli citizenship and loyalty to Israel. In fact, in fact, Zionism says they should be primarily loyal to to, to Israel. Um, now, whether or not all Jews feel that way is another matter. I, you know, obviously, no group is monolithic, but it does create a level of suspicion, especially for the powerful ones who have who can re who can you know uh, throw their weight around, like Sheldon Adelson, who actually said he'd rather serve in the Israeli Defense Force than the U.S. Army. His primary loyalty was to Israel, and you can by their deeds, you know how, how their true feelings um, is that um, any because of this dual citizenship issue. Citizenship issue and the diaspora and Zionism is it creates an aura or a legitimate uh, uh, realm of suspicion around every Jew, especially those in power, because of this issue. Especially yeah. when you have all of Jewish organized Jewry backing the pardon of America. I'm talking all of American Jewry, American organized Jew, Jewish organization in America, back you know lobbying for the for the pardoning of Shel of, of, of Pollard when he betrayed the country. Because yeah. he helped Israel, so what's their primary loyalty? It shows their yeah. pri their priority there. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that has uh, disappeared is the concept of citizenship. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's, it's it's a number that can be manipulated by the Democratic Party to increase the voter roll. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the it used to have another type of meaning. Uh, bef uh, at the time of uh, Napoleon, when he uh, emancipated the Jews, they were all swore that they had their loyalty to France. Well, it turns out they didn't. And so the same thing, I had a, a similar incident here with, uh, with, with the whole St. Louis story. One of my contacts there, uh, after the article came out, uh, contacts him and says, uh, he's a Jew, you know, calling up my friend who's a Catholic. And says uh, that Rabbi Susan Talbot, she's a sorceress, she's a she's a witch, and no Jew takes her seriously. So he tells me this, and I say, well, uh, call him back, and say, you know, I'm glad you said this. So now we need to make a public statement. So you know, we as citizens of St. Louis, both Jewish and Catholic, denounce Rabbi Susan Talva. So he calls him back and says that. Well, no, he's not going to do that. So there you have it. Yeah. There you, have, you don't think of yourself. I mean, you talk to, you know, behind closed doors, uh, you'll talk uh, with this way with the Goyim. But then when it comes to being public and asserting your identity as a citizen, no, you won't do that because uh, your first loyalty is your, to your fellow Jew and not to your fellow uh, citizens of St. Louis. Well, this becomes a, I mean, this is a real problem. Now, this isn't considered polite talk because of certain narratives, of course, and understand what's considered acceptable in public discourse. And as you say, through accusations of anti-Semitism, Jews control public discourse. And then they can also uh, be appointed or find kind of wiggle the ways in their power without any accountability, especially when once you get get into these positions of power, they lobby and they for policies or they execute policies that are favorable 
at least perceived to be favorable to Israel or Jewish people and, and contrary to the interest of the host nation. You have right. a situation with the Biden administration where if you look at the, his, his <laughs> again, they have Jews have, have, have uh, secured a disproportionate amount of positions within the administration, particularly in the finance and national security. You have and the attorney general is Merrick Garland. The treasury secretary is Janet Yellen. She used to be the Federal Reserve chair, uh, chairwoman. Um, Homeland Security is a Cuban, but he's a he's a Jewish Cuban. Uh, Director of National Intelligence is a Jewish lady. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain is Jewish. Secretary of State and, and uh, Blinken is Jewish, and so are the two Assistant Secretary of States. Victoria Nuland's back in power. That's great. Uh, great. Office of Science and Technology Eric Lander is Jewish, and also the Director of Central Intelligence uh, is Jewish. Now. Again, now, do you think they're going to represent your interest? <laughs> Is it because they're just high achievers and they're smarter than us? Or? Yeah, that's all. Yeah, they're just smarter. <laughs> uh, these people are not going to represent the interest of the American people. I guarantee you that. It's it's all of the, the Jewish enclaves, Wall Street, wherever mm -hmm. they, they have power, they will represent their interests. Do you think Janet Yellen is going to represent the interests of the people in uh, Indiana? No. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's going to lead more to further alienation of uh, the people. So, you know, when the, the Jewish Post writes an article on this saying, hey, they've got a minion, you know, they could have a religious service there. At the, well, that's great when they say it. If you say it, you're an anti-Semite. You know, if you say they don't represent my interest, you're an anti-Semite. So that's their main way that they club you into submission. And that's the main reason that we don't have any power, because we simply can't articulate what's going on. Yeah, uh, it just I mean, it's just astonishing. And you, you have these numbers, this disproportionate representation. And uh, again, uh, I think people are talking about it, but not in polite company. <laughs> no, but, you're not fit for polite company if you talk no. this way. Um, well, one thing it, that's got to yeah. change. That's got to change because we're we're going nowhere. We're going backwards now. Well, this is and why they're they're coming up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. This bill uh, where they want to uh, institute the Institute uh, International Holocaust Remembrance uh, Association's uh, version uh, definition of anti-Semitism, which is no definition at all. It's called a certain perception. It's completely subjective. So you will be, if they pass this thing, you will be, every single American citizen will be uh, in jeopardy. You will, you will tremble in fear because as soon as some Jew says, uh, this guy's an anti-Semite, he can wreck your career, can ruin your life. And you have no recourse because that is the classic example of the label that we started off talking about at the beginning of your, of your program. Mm -hmm. the, the ability to... Uh, uh, fix labels is the ability to rule, to dominate. As, That's the way they, yeah. they hold power. Yeah, and uh, as uh, someone uh, reportedly once said, maybe he didn't say it, is to, you know, to find out who rules over you, just find out who you're not allowed to criticize. That's right. And it's funny thing, if we did live in a white supremacist society, no one would be talking about it. That's right. <laughs> it would just be de facto, it would be the way things are. And that that's the fact right. that it is talking about, you know, it's, it's a it's a diversion. And worst of all, it is a, a, a you're targeting a group of people uh, which are suffering a secular decline. I mean, you're talking about lowering life expectancy, 
sharp increases in drug addiction, uh, high unemployment, um, and at the same time, they're being targeted as being, you know, the white devil and, and the cause yeah. for the country's problems. So it's very insulting. And so, uh, but if you if you uh, if you write uh, uh, an article, an ebook called Jewish Privilege, uh, you're not allowed to talk about that. No. That's 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 anti-Semitism. Even that was a, Amazon said it was a bestseller. I guess the Jews figured that out too, and so they shut it down. I can't. I can't. Uh, no. Can you shut down uh, for writing something called white privilege? No, you can't shut that down. No. You, I think if you write that, you'll you'll get a million dollar contracts and you'll be hired to consult with corporations, universities, right. and, and you'll get tenure at Notre Dame <laughs> yeah. University. Uh, but this does bring in the issue of um, censorship, and of course, we played a big part uh, in the election. Uh, big tech. Uh, censoring the news, whether it's uh, t Twitter shutting down the New York Post coverage of the Joe Biden laptop or the Joe Biden's son's laptop issue, right, uh, right. or now they're censoring even talk of election fraud. If you talk any of election fraud, YouTube or Twitter will shut you down. You just can't talk about these things. <laughs> or anything about COVID that they don't like. Yes. Uh, if, you could, if you say, by the way, uh, Hank Aaron died 18 days after getting his COVID vaccination. Now, did he die of it or with it? <laughs> well, the, 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 yeah. the point here is that if 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 uh, before that, before uh, uh, Biden was inaugurated, if you walked out and got hit by a truck, uh, they would test your corpse until you tested positive, and then they call it a COVID test. Yes, that's what happened. That's it wasn't it was an, some old guy was in the hospital and uh, he was dying, and they kept testing him until he tested positive, and then they said it was a COVID test. Now that is going to change now. And the other thing that's going to change is uh, you're not going to hear anything about uh, side effects for the COVID vaccine. You're just not going to hear it. The, no yeah, uh, the, uh, I think, yeah, the World Health Organization, CDC, are now instructing people when they're performing the PCR test to run uh, fewer cycles. That's right. Which means you That's get a, right. a so that less. That means it's going to go down. The numbers are going to go down. They were fake. They were fake to begin with. They were padded. They were made. Uh, the figures were created to create a political effect to begin with, and now they're going to be uh, uh, changed. And Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, Governor Cuomo of New York, are, uh, and even to, uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmore uh, out there in Michigan are talking about opening up. That's they can't right. do it forever. Well, the, the COVID <laughs> pandemic served its purpose. Donald Trump was driven from office. Yeah. This is so obvious. It's so obvious now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but then, then again, we have these issues. Yeah, again, with big tech. Uh, I heard it, uh, someone, uh, Dr. Joseph Farrell, was giving an interview. He was. He said he. he yeah, and he. I mean, he was giving. A, he was in a discussion. And he suggested that what should happen with all these corporations and within their charter, they should swear allegiance to the Bill of Rights as a condition for their charter, state and federal charter for B corporations. Yeah. That way they, they'd be covered by the Bill of Rights. They couldn't act like sovereign governments. Right. The other uh, this is catching on. I think Poland, both Poland and Hungary have passed bills uh, making it illegal for these people to deplatform you or to de deny you your uh, your uh, your uh, right of free speech. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, since no one mentioned it, let's talk about conservatism now. Where is conservatism? Remember conservatism, where, where you would, where Ronald Reagan would talk about the main threat to our freedom was government. Mm -hmm. Where is government? 
Where is government? There is no one. We have no protection. Government is there to protect us. We have no protection against this terror. Big tech can do whatever it wants. The government is simply uh, disappeared. It's like the dream of every libertarian. Government has d dissolved. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that good speaks to the issue of, of these corporations and finance, capital, or capitalism and these corporations um, is uh, these cor they're not just simply, you know, productive forces. They become political entities or bodies themselves. Um, they engage in social engineering. They believe they're it's almost like uh, they, they're engaged in sort of reverse metapolitics. They through their control of the narrative and marketing, they actually change the culture to market their products, but also uh, uh, advance their own particular agenda, which represent a very few elite. And so how do you deal with an entity like that? It's like, it's a question, um, an issue of governance uh, that know that these 20th century categories of right and left don't really uh, uh, obtain anymore. They have no, no validity. They yeah. No, they don't. And where, where is conservatism? What are they talking about? I haven't heard a peep out of a conservative because they don't know what to say. Where is Tom Woods? Tom, we need your advice here. What's going on? What's going on? It's okay, isn't it, Tom? Google can 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 uh, can uh, disrupt the, the election. They can they can control the narrative. But because they're technically a private corporation, it's okay. That's private enterprise, right? No, it's not. The whole point of government here is to protect normal people the little guy against the rich and the powerful. That's what representative government is about. And what we're seeing here is the total route of representative government all the way up to and including voter fraud. Well, it's the funny. Yeah. January 6th, Feast of the Epiphany, right? And many people had a political epiphany that day. Yes. <laughs> and it, this whole the, the sort of tumultuous end of the Trump era has revealed a lot about the nature of our system to a lot to millions of more Americans, which is on balance a good thing, because in order to have an understanding of what's going on, you have to address the real threat. And um, so now, what do you? How do you deal with 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 oligarchs, with billionaires? How do you deal if if a, a George Soros or their powers that he represents can come in and buy up politicians, you know, attorney uh, attorney generals or district attorneys, and elect mayors and sheriffs, then have them. Uh, enact uh, their policies or their agenda just through simply like not enforcing the law or selectively enforcing law and creating, you know, chaos in society to achieve a political end. How does the political system address that? I mean, there was an attempt in the 20th century, and you write about this in your book on, on um, John Cardinal Kroll and the Cultural Revolution is the, the Reese Committee hearings and the Great Foundations. These were private organizations, too, but they were using tax-exempt benefits. Uh, their tax exempt status to gain a leverage or control to change the culture uh, surreptitiously or covertly. Uh, how does the political system respond to that? And this is where you need a, a, a sovereign government to be above that to regulate these people. Because other than that, what, right. what does the common man have? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. He's defenseless. We're all defenseless. These people can they, they can deplatform you. They can deny you your ability to uh, earn a living. They can get you fired. And you have no defense. It's, you have a defense against a government that is completely powerless. It's called the First Amendment. And then you have all these uh, 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 paid uh, academic whores 
who say, well, it's, 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 it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to private entities. Well, maybe it should because they have more power than the government. It's obvious. Look at what happened to Ireland. Look at what happened here. These groups have more powerful than they are more powerful than government. Let's state legislatures don't even come close. Don't even come close. But states could enact laws denying these corporations charters operating their uh, within their boundaries if they didn't abide by certain. So standards. so now now we're back at a guy like Mike Pence, okay, mm-hmm. who caved in completely after Indiana passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Mark Benioff shows up, pushes him around. And what what is is Pence's problem? Pence's problem is that he he, he can't think. He cannot cannot formulate his own narrative. He can't do it. This is is when he went on Meet the Press, they said, well, doesn't this discriminate? And he didn't know what to say. He, said, he should have said, look, this was an assault on representative government. Don't give me this discrimination bullshit. Mm-hmm. I know what happened. I know what happened. I was there. He couldn't do that. He couldn't, he couldn't assert his own categories. He can't do it. This is the problem. This is the main problem. The one theme that's gone throughout this entire discussion tonight is do you have the ability to uh, propose a narrative? Do you have the ability to stand by your categories? Do you have the ability to identify categories of reality as opposed to categories of the mind that someone's trying to impose on you? Again, sometimes you impose it on yourself and that's when they're really effective. So I've, all, I've mentioned this many times before, but you know, at the biker rally, someone yelled, hey, asshole, and everybody turned around. <laughs> Now, do you turn around when people yell, hey, asshole? Well, a lot of people do. I've, I said this to the white boys. I said, the white boys, if you're a white boy, you're, you're turning around when they yell, hey, asshole. You're imposing this category on yourself that is going to guarantee that you will lose whatever battle you're in. But I mean, that's just one example. All of these categories, if you watch television, you are being bombarded by categories of the mind that are going to cripple your ability to think. That is the whole point of television. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of Mr. Stephanopoulos. Yes, and he was uh, just a, may, a shock that someone fought back a little bit. Someone had the temerity to say, no, I have my own interpretation. Yeah, that's what, Mr., that's what Senator Paul did. Uh, I have my uh, own categories that I can use. I don't need your, your categories to allow me to think. As a matter of fact, your categories are created to prevent me from thinking. And I know it. And I'm going to stand by this thing. What have I dedicated my entire life to? To coming up with stories that have the real, the reality of the situation, the real categories of reality, as opposed to the myths that we've been told. So uh, uh, Michelle Obama uh, said, y'all left us and wouldn't talk to us, talking about the South Side of Chicago. No, Michelle, y'all engaged in ethnic cleansing. All you black people were all proxy warriors mm-hmm. engaging in ethnic cleansing. That's what it was. And that story has stuck. Uh, you know, that, that story is spreading. The narrative is spreading so that we don't punish ourselves because uh, we've internalized the commands of our oppressors. We don't do that anymore.
Yeah, the destruction of the ethnic enclaves of cities, because that was a, a source of a lot of political power for these ethnic groups, particularly the Catholic eth ethnics. And they were used to disrupt those neighborhoods because they, the powers that be didn't like the politics politics that emanated from those enclaves. They didn't like right. to deal with, have to deal with them, have to compromise with them, destroy them. That's right. You know, Breed slaughter of cities, mm -hmm. uh, urban renewal is ethnic cleansing for the full story. Yeah, the best example of that is uh, it's in slaughter of cities, but it's also, you also covered in the John Conor Kroll uh, biography about uh, most blessed sacrament parish. Yeah. You know, the politics that emanated from that, that parish and yeah. Yeah, the Catholic and Martin, power. Martin Mullen, again, yeah. this is representative government. That's what we're talking about here. The Catholics played by the rules. They voted their guy in and and the oligarchs didn't like it because he actually had political power and he wielded that political power for the people who voted for him. Now, think of that. There's a there's a novel idea. He actually represented the people who voted for him. Mm -hmm. Unlike let's let's fast forward here. Representative Chris Smith of New Jersey, Mr. Pro-Life. Oh, wait a minute. He's Mr. Hate Crimes, too. The ADL, he's the ADL's favorite representative. So it's the best of both worlds. So when it comes to the votes, I'll tell you I'm pro-life. But when it comes to the policy, I need the Jew money to get elected and I'll be uh, Mr. Hate Crimes for you. Double game. This is the double game that, that needs to be exposed. And also, the, the, the reality of the situation is to fight the culture war, uh, uh, Catholics and, and other uh, you know, uh, Christians and Americans of goodwill have to address the reality of Jewish organized Jewish power in fighting and waging the culture war and undermining the moral subversion of the country, whether it's Hollywood yes. or, the, or, or Madison Avenue or, or the, the mainstream presses, they've asserted themselves. They've come to dominate these areas and they right. use the, that culture high ground to to um, to uh, to uh, shell us. Yeah. And you have to I, take I'm that gonna make, I'm going to make a shocking theological statement right now. OK, so I'm warning you. OK, it is not a sin to criticize Jews. It's not a sin. It's not even a venial sin to criticize Jews. Certainly not a mortal sin. Okay. Now it, it maybe render you not fit for polite company, but that's something different. Now, how do I know it's not a sin? Well, Jesus Christ criticized Jews and he was God and he was perfect and he could not sin. Okay. So now I'm t this, this should liberate you. Okay. Because the only thing that's holding you back is social taboo and the fact of the matter is when you stand up to social taboo, it disappears. The more people who stand up to it, the less powerful the taboo becomes until finally you wake up one day and it's not there anymore. And if, and if you look around you, if you look at the, the degeneracy, the, the destruction of the family, the state of the culture, the state of entertainment, the arts, if you're wondering how, why, um, you know, transgender people are reading uh, uh, storybooks to your kids in libraries and why it's being promoted. Well, if you do the research, uh, overwhelmingly Jewish organizations are, are behind spearheading. They're definitely funding it. The Pritzkers, right. George Soros, the Tides Foundation, just do the work. Dreschner, yeah. even the, the theoreticians behind it uh, were the P Jews within the American Psychological Association legit, legit, legitimizing it. Same thing with the, the, the normalization of homosexuality. So if you lament all that, it didn't just happen. It wasn't a sort of a second law of, of the you know of physics or something of thermodynamic social thermodynamics where things fall apart. Society is being pushed in a certain direction right. to atomize it. And you can't and you can't address it. The classic example of this is uh, uh, Archbishop Chaput writing an article uh, for First Things, in which he talks about uh, 
you know, the uh, banning prayer in public school. This was done by secularizing activists. That's what he said. Secularizing activists. Well, wait, what's that? Can I look that up in the phone book? If we still have phone <laughs> books, is it under S or under A? No, look, uh, your eminence or your excellency. Sorry, you never made cardinal. Sorry. Uh, that was a Philadelphia story. It was Leo Pfeffer. Yes. And Leo Pfeffer worked for the American Jewish Committee. So we suddenly have an identity here, an actual real person, that if he weren't dead, you could look him up in the phone book. And you could find out because it was Shep versus Abington School Board. That was right outside of Philadelphia. So let's start getting particular here. Let's start getting down to reality rather than the secularizing activists in a, in a magazine like First Things, which was created by two Jews in order to uh, subvert uh, conservatism. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, that magazine would talk about the naked public square, but who created that vacuum? Whose activism created that vacuum? Um, well, it was, you know... It was Leo Pfeffer. Leo Pfeffer, yeah. I mean, what, to name a name, he had an enormous impact on, on this type of thing. Who was it that uh, said that uh, uh, Deep Throat was, uh, 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 should be covered by uh, free speech as part of the First Amendment? Alan Dershowitz, yeah. Alan Dershowitz. You can watch him on YouTube, okay? And this is the same Alan Dershowitz that is standing next to Trump when he signs his own personal hate crimes bill, making it illegal to criticize Israel. There's hypocrisy, if I ever, if I ever saw it. Yeah, so, so free speech applies to obscenity, but not to political speech. That's right, which is the absolute <laughs> reversal. That is the world turned upside down. The world turned upside down, the reverse of what it should be. Well, the whole, whole idea of postmodernism in sort of our modern era is inversion, right? Moral inversion, even logical That's right. inversion. That's uh, right. It's, or, or Nietzsche, the, uh, the Umwertung aller Werte, the transvaluation of all values. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on. Did you see the thing on, uh, it was on Capitol Hill where they did the prayer and they ended it with all woman? Instead of amen, <laughs> I mean that's not even Another a gendered. Ignoramus. It's not even a gendered term. I mean I don't know, you know. And then Nancy Pelosi says they do with gendered terms on Capitol Hill, but then during the impeachment she gives a speech. She invokes her father. She didn't say parent. <laughs> you know her father. The shame the on you, Nancy. <laughs> her shame father. Let, the let, uh, let, let me give you let me give you some uh, some <laughs> advice. I know you're older than I am, but I'll give you some fatherly advice. Don't make a fool out of yourself in public because you lose your authority when you do that. You make yourself ridiculous with this with this gender stuff. And then you think uh, you think you ain't earned any points by uh, hiring Rachel Levine to talk about health. <laughs> yes, the assistant secretary of health. This, this this fat Jew who now injects himself with hormones and God knows what. I don't even want to get into the, the surgical uh, procedure here. Uh, and he's supposed to advise us on health? Are you kidding me? Is this healthy? <laughs> What's the definition of health now? What is what is the uh, suicide rate among transgender people? It's higher than among homosexuals. Well, that's because society just doesn't accept them. That's right. It's an awful thing. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Yeah, what, then you have this. What type, of, what type of self delusion is going on here? Well, this Where takes us back to logos, doesn't it? Logos. Yes, there I mean, is a logos to the human body, and yeah. it wasn't created by Rachel Levine. It was created by God. What are you thinking, honey? Do you think you look cute with that long blonde hair over that ugly face? 
I think I think it's about humiliation. They're making us accept that and taking it seriously. They, and it's not, I don't think it's not a coincidence that the governor is also Jewish of Pennsylvania. Uh, but it's an attempt that we have to sit back and listen to this guy uh, wearing a wig. Maybe he grew his hair long, but he's wearing a sundress. And we all have to pretend. And um, it's the same thing with the gender issue where they're trying to, you know, make it illegal to misgender someone. Well, who's doing the misgendering? You're the one at demanding that we indulge your delusion, you know. And this is two plus two equals five. This is, you know, uh, igno- ignoring reality. And that's the ultimate totalitarian yes. demand. When you have to accept that you know, these 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 lies as truths, actually believe them. And you see that in the stories when they refer to Rachel Levine as a her in a news story. No, yeah. Rachel, Rachel Levine is a man. He changed his name from Richard, but he's still a man no matter what he does to his body. Yes. You can mutilate your body, but you can't change its logos. Mm-hmm. You can't change the logos because that is that, that is the, the word of God and you can't change it. So all you're doing is making a mess of your own life and, and contributing to other people's misery. But you can't change that. You can't change that logos. And this is the, this is the type of insanity you have when you deny logos. That's right. That's right. You know, it's a reductio ad absurdum of it all. I mean, this is what it is. I mean, that, and, you know, they're put out there to promote this. It, it's just to sow more confusion because within the confusion, they perceive themselves as benefiting, you know, as being more powerful, you know. Yeah. Every time you do this, you lose credibility. Well, Every that's, I mean, that's this, the positive. You make a fool of yourself. Don't we have them where we want them now? Have... Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Thank you for saying it for me. It's never looked worse, but then again, how could it get, it, it's never been better. I mean, look, never, we've never had this type of consciousness of the fraud that is being perpetrated. We don't have the we, well, first of all, we did have the political power because I think we we reelected Donald Trump. Well, yeah, that's that, another thing is I think he did legally win. That's another thing when you when you're examining this. Why didn't he win? Well, he kind of did win. I'm sorry, but they were able to bring in third world taxes to steal an election and make sure that the Department of Justice, Republicans too, that's another angle to this, is the Republican establishment obviously wanted Trump out because they um, engine, they, they were as much as, they were as, as guilty as the Democrats in stealing this election by not doing what they what they should do, both at the state that's and right. federal level, McConnell, yeah. the state legislatures. It was yeah. shameful to watch all these people choosing membership in the oligarchic country club rather than the principles that they were Hired to uh, implement to support. Yes, and of course the the I guess the the best uh, I guess illustration of this was that sort of this dystopian inauguration that Biden had. Um, it's he needed two. Go? No, no, I didn't. I, I didn't even listen to it or watch it. But um, I, you know, this, of course, he calls for unity. Then he insults half the country, calling him white supremacist and extremist. But um, he needs two army divisions. <laughs> <laughs> Shows you how popular he is. Popular he is. Uh, I guess uh, twenty-five thousand troops to yeah. protect him. No, nobody shows up to support him. Yeah, no wonder he won the election. Yeah, which is why they're so. Par- they know they're not popular, and that's why they're they're paranoid and acting and, and you know acting out and being so re- and trying to be repressive with these new measures and overreacting to the whole Capitol Hill thing. You know. Uh, calling it an insurrection, and then you know, even like lawyers using these words that you know, you have to make this case legally. How are you going to do that you know, when there's no evidence of an insurrection? You know, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the guy in the buffalo suit is going to take over the country. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but it, you know, 
Well, anyway, so it's, we're past an hour. I th- think we covered it. Yeah. Caught up on it. I want to thank you for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Tim. Of course, that's Dr. E. Michael Jones. Uh, of course, uh, website, Culture Wars, Culture Wars Maggie, culturewars.com. And, of course, I uh, get the books there, right? Yep. And when I'm is the new edition to... of the Jewish Revolution Spirit going to be available? It'll be uh, in about a month. Oh, okay. It's the printer right now. Excellent. Three volumes, boxed, hardbound, second edition. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, I'll post this soon. I'll do. I'll send you the link, and I'll wish you a good night then. Thank you. Good night. Bye bye.